So we're continuing with the story of Ruth. We've been in it for two weeks, and this is our last week. And so I'm going to share with you um, scripture from Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1, going through 13, then skipping over to chapter 4, just a few more verses there. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you, so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Ruth said to her, all that you tell me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when Ruth pledges her loyalty to Naomi, she essentially becomes Naomi's daughter. There's no blood ties between them, just a marriage that ended in death. Naomi accepts Ruth's pledge of loyalty, and she allows her to journey back to Bethlehem in the land of Judah where they hope to find a next of kin to help them survive, and who knows, maybe even thrive. Moab had fallen into a time of famine, even though Bethlehem had once been in famine, 
Now Moab was, and so they needed to return home in order to have food. As we heard last week, Naomi encourages Ruth to go and glean, and it turns out where she gleans is in the field of Boaz, who's a kinsman. And right now, that focus is just on survival. But Boaz takes an interest in Ruth. He realizes there's a woman out there he doesn't know. I mean, this is Bethlehem. It's a small town. Pretty much everybody knows everybody else. He doesn't recognize Ruth, and so he wants to know who she is. And he hears her story of how she has, um, she's a really good person, and she has given her loyalty to Naomi. And so Boaz takes measures to ensure her safety as she gleans. The reapers are to share with her, and the young men are not to mess with her. Naomi recognizes that she has become an old woman. Both of her sons have grown up. They were married for 10 years. Then they both died. Her husband's dead. Naomi's getting on in years. The reality is, in those days, she's not going to live much longer. So she begins to make plans for Ruth to have a future. According to Leverett Law, which is in Scripture, since Ruth's husband died without leaving her with an heir, the next male in the line of kinship has a responsibility to her so that there is an heir for her husband's land. It seems that Boaz has filled that description, and he seems to care about Ruth, even if we haven't really seen that love spark between them yet. However, Boaz has made no move to court Ruth, and Naomi wants to get things settled. In order to move things along, Naomi says, you know what, Ruth, it's time for you to have a night out. I believe Boaz is an honorable man, and so what I want you to do is go get cleaned up. You've been working out in the fields all week. You're a little nasty. Put on a little perfume and put on your best clothes, the ones you don't wear when you go glean. And I want you to go into the barn, and I want you to take note of where Boaz goes after he eats and drinks. Where does he go sleep on the threshing floor? And when he sees you there, he's going to propose. It doesn't go quite that smoothly. Boaz goes to sleep. You know, he's had plenty to eat and drink. He's pretty content. He's in like a dead sleep. And about midnight, he realizes there is someone lying at his feet. And he wakes up, and he is so surprised, he doesn't even recognize Ruth. He's like, who are you? And so Ruth says, it's me, it's Ruth, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to put your cloak over me, which signifies to everyone, we're getting married. Ruth doesn't wait for Boaz to figure it out. She's like, this is what needs to happen, so we're just going to make it happen. She proposes to him. Now, that's pretty unusual in today's world. Imagine what it was like a few thousand years ago. She proposes to Boaz. He sort of agrees, but then he's like, you know, there's this other kinsman who's even closer to you than I am, so we got to clear things with him first. Now, I don't know about you guys, but at this point in the story, I'm kind of connected to Boaz. Like, I'm rooting for him, and then he says there's this other guy that could marry Ruth. I'm not too happy about that. Boaz has been great. He notices the new girl. He speaks to her. He provides extra food for her. He extends his protection for her safety. He basically says, you're welcome here. 
And when she proposes to him, he doesn't outright refuse her, and he doesn't take advantage of her or the situation. He keeps everything on the up and up. I really like Boaz. He's the good guy. And I don't want some other man to step into the story and kind of scoop up this thing that Ruth has going with Boaz. Well, the next morning, Boaz goes to the town square, and he finds the man who's an even closer next of kin. And there in front of everyone in town, Boaz asks this man, which in the Hebrew refers to him as Mr. So-and-so, he says, would you like to have this field that Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, has? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I would love to have that field. And Boaz is like, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. By the way, if you take that land, you also have to marry this woman, Ruth. She's a Moabite. We all know about them. But you have to marry her, and then if she has a son, well, you know, that land's going to revert back to her land or to her family of inheritance, not yours. Well, Mr. So-and-so begins to backpedal. Um, you know what? I'm good. I don't really need that land. So, yeah, you go ahead and you take the Moabite. I mean, you take the land. I don't want her. I mean, the land. Boaz is smart. He does this in the middle of town in front of everyone so that there are witnesses to know that that land has been given up. This man no longer has the right to marry Ruth. He's given it to Boaz. Boaz is brilliant. So he returns to Ruth and they get married. God blesses their marriage with the son. This woman who was married for 10 years to another man and yet never conceived that we know of she immediately has a son with Boaz. The writer of Ruth wants us to know that God has blessed this union. And up until the end of this book, we've been hearing a lot of the same stuff. Show loyalty to those you love and for whom you care. Or as Ben put it, don't be a jerk and be friendly. But here at the end of the story, we get a lot more information in just a few verses mentioned a time or two that Ruth was a Moabite. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that Moabites and Ammonites shall not be admitted into the family of Israel because they are enemies. But Naomi and Elimelech went to Moab to save their family when the land of Judah experienced a famine. When they got there, Malon and Chilion, their sons, were married to Moabite women, and they all lived there together for 10 years in the feast. But when the men died and the famine began, Naomi decides to head back to Judah. She takes Ruth with her, and that's a bit shocking. It's one thing to live with the enemy in enemy land, but to take the enemy home with you, that's a little different. But Naomi says, sure, you can come with me. Naomi then treats Ruth like her own daughter, not a daughter-in-law, but her own daughter, flesh of her flesh. And when the time comes to secure a future for Ruth, Naomi takes care of it. She's family. This Moabite has become part of a good Jewish family. But Naomi's not the only one who has accepted Ruth. Boaz does as well. Before we see any romance between the two, 
Boaz treats Ruth with extravagant hospitality. He doesn't just let her glean in the field. He gives her lots of provisions. He's the embodiment of welcoming the stranger, of recognizing that his people were once foreigners in a strange land, the people of Israel in Egypt. Now, a lot of people would have let her glean in the fields, but they would have left the relationship at that. All she got was what she could gather herself. They would not have cared if she survived or not. She was a Moabite. Boaz cared. Boaz took care of the stranger. He provided for her. He accepted her. When Ruth asked Boaz to marry her, again, an unusual thing for a woman to do in a male-centered society, he doesn't hesitate even though she's a foreigner. He hesitates because of Jewish law. Once he has that cleared up, he's free to marry her, and he does, which results in a bouncing baby boy that they name Obed. Did you catch the lineage there? Ruth is the mother of Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, the ancestor of Jesus. This foreigner, this Moabite, is the great-grandmother of David, King David. She is one of just three women who are listed in the very long genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. This foreigner has clearly been accepted into the family of God. You may have heard a, a phrase that goes sort of like this, ask God to show up and show off. That's pretty much what happens here in the book of Ruth. We read this book that is full of people living as they've been called to live, and we find that God is present. We find that God is working through their ordinary lives. We find that God is preparing salvation history through their ordinary lives. If it seems like their lives are all wrapped up in a neat little bow, well, don't forget, Ruth and Naomi suffered a lot of hardship before life got better. Naomi and Elimelech were living in a time of famine in their home, and it was so bad they had to move to the enemy territory with their sons. They lived there for 10 years, but there were no offspring, which in those days was seen as a clear sign that God was not happy with you. Today, we know different. It is not that way anymore. But that's what they believed, that God had turned against them because they didn't have any sons, they didn't have any children. Then Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, all three lose their husbands. But remember that Naomi has a threefold heartbreak. She lost her husband and both sons. In a day when women relied on men for their very survival, that is beyond difficult. And whether Naomi chose her husband for love or if it was an arranged marriage, you have to hope that she at least felt affection for him. She at least cared for him. Because she's a very compassionate woman, we have to assume she did love her sons. It is heartbreak upon heartbreak for her. When Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, Naomi says that she is bitter, and she knows that the hand of the Lord has turned against her. In other words, she feels like she's cursed. Life cannot get any worse. She has lost everything. 
Ruth has nothing to offer either. They are two destitute women who can only hope that when they return home, people will allow them to glean in their fields and get what they need to just survive. It has a happy ending, but this isn't where the story of Ruth began. Life is hard. I think a lot of times we want to believe that being a Christian makes life easy, but the reality is it doesn't. Bad things happen to everyone. God doesn't make the bad things happen, but God is with us in the happenings. Sometimes God's presence may not seem obvious. That doesn't mean God isn't with us. In the book of Ruth, God really doesn't make an appearance until the end of the book. Yet throughout this story of faithfulness and kindness, God is present through the law. Remember how Jesus said, I don't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? Well, this is the law that he's referring to, that's bringing love and justice to God's people, even the people outside of the family of God. That's the exact same thing that Jesus came to do. By Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz living within the parameters of the law, granted, the women stretched it a little bit, but they were living within the parameters of the law, this law that was a gift from God to God's people. We see God's presence. We see God doing the unexpected by bringing Ruth into this family. We see ordinary people find love and justice. We see a foreshadow of God's redeeming love in Jesus Christ through the line of David. In the midst of all the bad things that happen in our lives, God is working to bring about a surprise ending. Those of you who get the first on Chatham email, uh, you read this past week about the miscarriage I had several years ago and the pain that I felt. Now, I'm aware that compared to most women, that pain was very short-lived, but it is something I carry with me at all times. But I can tell you with all honesty that I had no expectation of having a child that year. When Samantha came along, I was floored. God works in surprising and sometimes humorous ways. When Ruth gave birth to a son, to Obed, the women in the town celebrated with Naomi. They sang the praises of Ruth. She has been better to you than seven sons. Y'all, for a woman to be better than seven sons was unheard of. Again, society was all about the men. They made the money, they made the decisions, they made the marriage arrangements. They did everything except have the babies and cook and clean. Yet the women say to Naomi that Ruth was worth seven sons. This foreigner, who had nothing to give but love and devotion, was the means of salvation for Naomi and her family line. God works in surprising ways. When it feels like life is unbearable, look for God. We may not see the miracle that's unfolding, but God is at work. God may simply be at work in our daily lives as we live as God calls us to live. When we live in that way, God has the room 
that is needed to do amazing things. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz probably never knew David. Surely they never knew that he became the greatest king in Jewish history. I know they never knew that the Messiah descended from their bloodline. All they knew was that God gave them a son, which is an everyday occurrence. It's a miracle, but it's an everyday occurrence. Yet that son eventually led to the salvation of all of creation. God works in surprising and ordinary ways. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go now into the world knowing that God is present in you, with you, and around you. God is working to bring good things into your life. Go knowing that God is with you through the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.